0: finally send the letter. He gets my letter and calls me back off of the letter. And I was on the golf course when he called and I missed his call. (laughs) At this point, it was almost three months. and He left me a message and I was like, oh my gosh, I've been trying for three months for this guy. He calls me back and I missed the call. I don't know if he's going to answer again.
1: Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Tips from Chips podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Kopp. Today, we'll be talking with Tom Van Herren from ESPN. Tom will take us through his journey to work for the worldwide leader in sports and give us a behind-the-scenes look at signing day, his thoughts on the name, image, and likeness policy for college athletics, and his first book, The Road to Ann Arbor. All right, Tom, welcome to the Tips from Chips podcast. Thanks for joining us.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me on. How are you doing? Good, good. How are you? I'm doing well, as, as, as good as I can be, I should say. <laughs>
1: yeah, for sure. It's been uh, quite a week uh, in, in news, so I understand that.
0: <laughs> for sure.
1: Um, so we always like to start these podcast episodes by taking all the way back to Mount Pleasant and your time at Central Michigan. Um, I guess my first question for you is when you were there, did you have aspirations or, or goals to be a sports reporter, or did that just kind of happen by chance after CMU?
0: yeah I, I I always tell students that email me or people that email me and ask me how to get in journalism or how to get into sports writing that they should not follow my path I took a, a winding backwards path to get where I am and I think i would I would probably go back to when I was a kid um, before I really knew anything about anything just a really young kid I always thought there was there were three things that I wanted to be when I grew up I wanted to be a golf pro because my dad was a golf pro and um, I'm, not, I'm not great at golf, so that kind of weeded itself out. I wanted to be on Saturday Night Live. Chris Farley, I thought, <laughs> was the funniest person on the planet. Um, and that kind of weeded itself out, too, because it's really, really hard to do that. And then the third thing was I wanted to be on ESPN. I wanted to work for ESPN in some capacity. And, and I always loved telling stories, and I always loved being around people, talking to people. Um, but I I think somewhere along the way, I just kind of got off path of, of really knowing what I wanted to do. Once you get in that situation where you're a senior in high school and then a freshman in college, and you start to get down to it of what, what am I really going to do? What am I going to be when I grow up? It's now real. It's three to four years away. Um, I, you know, I, I just, I don't know that I I took everything as serious as I should have, as everybody that goes to Central knows. It yeah. <laughs> can be difficult to do that there in Mount Pleasant. Um, but I, I think also, I just, I, you know, I didn't seek out guidance. I didn't, um, I just really didn't know what I wanted to be and what I wanted to do. And so out of college, uh, after I graduated from Central, I took a job. I was actually selling mortgages. And, and it was just kind of because I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just decided to take a job just because, every, as everyone who's graduated knows, even though you know graduation is coming, that date sneaks up on you. And then yeah. you get there <laughs> and you're like, wait a minute. This is now I'm in the real world. This is the real, this is real life. And so I took a job selling mortgages. I hated that. Realized one day, I'll never forget. I realized the the day that I figured out that I I just I couldn't do it anymore. I sat there in my cubicle and looked around, and I called my 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 now wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, and I said, "Listen, you got to trust me. I got a plan. I just I can't do this anymore. I'm I'm going to quit my job," and I did. And so I I kind of refocused and and thought, you know, I don't I don't want to just take a job. I don't want to just get on this carousel of not really knowing what I want to do. And I, I had always had an interest in advertising and marketing. Um, and so I thought, you know, let me, let me try to get into advertising. And, and so we, we had wanted to move to Arizona for a while, my wife and I. And so we had some friends out there thought maybe this is a good time now to start fresh, start over. And so I, I reached out to some advertising agencies, no experience in advertising whatsoever, graduated with a communication degree, no, no advertising anything. Yeah. And I, I found an, uh, an advertising agency and their contact info. And I reached out to the guy that was one of the principals, one of the partners. And I said, listen, I'm coming out to Arizona anyways. If you sit down with me for an hour, let's have lunch. I'll buy you lunch. Let's just sit down and, and meet and let's talk about me. Let's talk about your agency. If you end up liking me after that hour and you think I could, I could join, I know you're not hiring, but if you think you could bring me on, I could add value, then let me know. Um, and, and so he agreed to that. We ended up sitting down for about two or three hours. And, and at the end of it, it was really funny. He ended up hiring me. They ended up creating a, a position for me. I was the new business coordinator of an advertising agency with no, with no experience. And he said to me, you know, the reason why I took your call, the reason why I even said yes to sitting down with you, my mom went to Central Michigan University.
1: Wow,
0: <laughs> and so that there was that connection there, I got lucky with that. But unfortunately, I realized very quickly that that was sales again, and I I realized then that it, I hated sales, and and so I I said to my wife like I, I got to get off this carousel, I got to figure out really what I want to do. And so I I just kind of sat down and thought and and went back to what I what I thought when I was a kid, and. Like I said, I just, I've always loved storytelling. I've always been a good writer. I've always been, um, been able to, it was sales. I was able to get a hold of people and talk to people. And, and um, I, you know, I thought, man, this is, this is going to be a long shot, but I'd love to be a sports reporter. I think that's, if, if I got to choose, if there was no money involved, there was nothing involved. If I got to choose, that's what I would want to be. And so I put together a plan while I was still working at that agency. I put together a plan of how I could do it, and and what my end goal was. It was to get it get to ESPN, and so I I figured out a way to do that. I I reached out to I think about four different companies, um, within w- within the college football world because that's I narrowed it down. I wanted to cover college football, and nobody answered. And, and it was because I didn't have a portfolio. I didn't have any experience. Here's this guy that said you know. I want to come work for you even though I've got no experience and I'll work really hard. Well, of course, all of them said no. Um, I finally reached out to a blog, MGO blog, a guy that owns it, Brian Cook. And, and he was the only person that answered me. And I said, listen, I'll work for you for two months for free because I still had my job at the advertising agency. Uh, I said, I'll work for you for two months for free. If you like me after the two months then let's talk about you hiring me. And if not, then no harm, no foul. And so I worked, I worked my tail off for those two months and he ended up hiring me. And, and I got lucky because that, that advertising agency ended up laying off about a quarter of the staff. And I was one of the people that got laid off. Wow. And so, so that kind of propelled me. It was terrible at the time. My wife, I actually had to call my wife the day of, uh, of her wedding shower that I had gotten laid off. Uh, we were about to get married and, and um, you know, it was terrible at the time, but that propelled me and pushed me into this. And then really what I did was I, I just put together a plan. Once I was actually in it and starting it, I put together a plan and used all my experience in sales, in marketing, in advertising, in networking, and everything to propel me forward to try to get me to ESPN. And within two years, uh, I, I, again, I got lucky. A guy that I had networked with got hired at ESPN. And I said, hey, congrats, man. That's awesome. That's my dream job. If you guys are ever hiring, let me know. And he said, well, send me your resume. We're hiring right now. <laughs> and I sent it to him and he ended up hiring me. And, and that was about 10 years ago. I've been with ESPN for almost 10 years now.
1: That is awesome. Um, that's quite an incredible story. And, and just going on your LinkedIn, I don't think that story correlates as well as how you just told it. That's pretty awesome. And I think I found a lot of um, kind of comparisons to my career too. I actually, my last job, I worked for Rock and Roll Marathon Series. And I was laid off about three weeks after I got married to my wife. And wow. I, I got that call actually. So my wife and I were doing long distance at the time. She was up in the Bay area and I was in San Diego and we were going to her summer party basically to say goodbye because she was going to move down to San Diego and, you know, come live with me once we got married. And as we were walking into her summer party to basically say goodbye to everybody, I got the call that I got laid off. Yeah. So, Um, It was quite a turn of events, but I ended up adding somebody on LinkedIn that like two days after I added them on LinkedIn, they announced that they were leaving their position with the San Diego Tourism Authority, which is where I work today. He put my resume in and I got hired. So um, it's kind of funny how those kind of connections and timings, you know, work out sometimes.
0: Yeah. And I I hope other people see that too. I mean, it's, you know, it's devastating at the time. Like I said, I was, I was a kid. I think I was 26 when it happened. Um, and you know, it's devastating and it's, you think everything, you think it's going to be so difficult and it's, everything is over. You're you worked towards this and it's, it's, you know, you, it's just taken away from you. But I, I, I kind of took the, the thought process of take this as this is, this is pushing you into what you should really be doing. And that, and that's what I did. And so I worked hard to get there and, and ultimately it worked out.
1: That's awesome. That's so cool. And I think that's such an inspiration for people to, you know, follow their passions and, and really, you know, dedicate yourself to doing what you want to do instead of just, you know, punching 40 hours, hating your job. So that's, that's awesome.
0: And I think, you know, more than ever, you asked me about um, other people getting into this or, or what they should do. You know, I, I tell people all the time with, with social media now, i it's it's easier now more than ever to try to get into what you want to do and try to be who you want to be and do what you want to do. And when we were in college, when were you at Central what years?
1: I was there from 20 uh, or 2007 to
0: 2011. Okay, so you were you were right before me. I graduated in 06. Yep. When I was there, Facebook was invented, which I hate saying that out loud. It makes me feel so old, but Facebook was just invented. We just got text messaging. I mean, when I was there, the Nextel walkie talkie phones were, were the cool thing. Like yeah. <laughs> we, didn't text, we didn't text each other. We just walkie talkie to each other, you know, yep. and we didn't, but we didn't have Twitter. We didn't have Instagram. We didn't have LinkedIn. We had no social media to, to help connect with anybody. And I tell people all the time now, especially students, if you're not using LinkedIn, I even use it still to this day. I spend maybe half an hour every day. I, I at least try to, Spend half an hour every day on LinkedIn, connecting with people, just because you you never know. You you don't know who who maybe is someone's going to come work at ESPN that I that I connected with, or, God forbid, anything were to happen to my job at ESPN, and maybe someone I connect with, you know, a couple of years prior is has seen that, and now they've got an opening or whatever it might be. I I just think you utilizing social media now. To network, even Twitter. I, I mean, Twitter has been, um, you know, it's been a, a big help for me. And I, I, if you're not using it, I think it's a huge disadvantage.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I've I've had a lot of opportunities for me just open up through social media and networks. So yeah, I think you're spot on with that. So let's um let's talk about your current job. I I'm assuming signing day is probably your busiest day of the year, and also the day I reached out to you about doing this podcast because I saw you on ESPN. With the the Central Michigan helmet in the background, um, so can you walk us through signing day? What is what is that like for you? What is that typically? Uh, how does that roll out?
0: Well, this signing day that the 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 TV appearance you're talking about this year was very unusual because of the the circumstances with COVID nineteen, and um, a lot of us are at home instead of in the studio for that stuff. And so I that particular show that I was on, it was, um, I think it was two, a two hour show or maybe a three hour show. I can't remember now. Everything, everything kind of blurs together. I don't even know what day it is right now, but <laughs> let's just say it was a two hour show. And so I was doing that from my kid's playroom, which is, which is funny. I mean, I had a suit jacket, a shirt and a tie on and sweat and sweatpants. And, uh, you know, we have, we have a, a TVU app on our phones that can patch us in directly to Bristol on live TV, right through our iPhones, which is crazy. But um, I have to call in an an IFB for people at home. And how we hear the producer is through an earpiece called the IFB, that's what you see in people's ear um, on TV. And and so when we're at home, I have my IFB and I plug it into my other phone. I've got two phones here to use, one to show me on camera and then one to call in to a number so that I can hear the producers in my ear. Well, for whatever reason, we were having a, a ton of technical difficulties the phone kept dropping the call throughout the show and that's how I hear the host talking too and and the other analysts. That's how I hear everything Yeah. because I've just got my iPhone camera on me. I don't have have a, a monitor to look at or anything else. That call dropped within two hours. It dropped 30 times. Wow. So I didn't hear a single question that was asked to me Luckily, we have a rundown uh, of, of, you know, topics that we're going to go over before we go into the show. It was live. And I luckily kept calling in right as Matt Schick, the host, was asking, finishing the question to me. I knew he was talking to me, but I didn't hear what, I, I really didn't hear what any of the questions were. I just heard the last maybe five words and then he'd stop talking. And a couple a of couple times I just guessed and started talking. Um, <laughs> So we joked about that afterwards that I did not hear a single question he asked me. I, I actually, I guess, I don't even know. I still haven't even gone back and watched it. But um, Tom Luganbill, one, one of our other reporters, said that I, he answered something and then I answered with the same answer. <laughs> uh, and I didn't realize it because I didn't hear them. But yeah, that day is crazy. Um, you know, cover. I, so I cover college football. I cover the college football side. And then I also cover the recruiting side. And so on the recruiting side, the signing day is 100% the craziest day. It's, it's even leading up to that. I think leading up to it really is when all the work gets done. Uh, me trying to figure out where a lot of these prospects are going, talking to them, getting getting quotes from them beforehand. Um, if they won't tell me where they're going to go, who what school they're going to sign with, then I... Um, but then i you know i'll try to talk to coaches and and see if they'll tell me where those kids are going and and then writing pre-writing stories to have to to send out to our news desk during the day and then trying to balance all of that with going on on tv it's it's a it's a hard balancing act cuz i've got to monitor the news i've got to go on live tv i've got i've got to fulfill my obligations to espn.com on the writing side that when news happens when a prospect announces his commitment that he's signing somewhere I've got to send that news story in right when it happens and I might be on TV while that's happening but our news desk is expecting that story yeah. so it's a lot of balancing during the day it's a lot of preparation beforehand to make sure that I'm prepared I've got everything in order I've got my excel sheet of when when news is happening what's going to happen at certain times and and then like I said the you know the really the week before is what I do a lot of the work, but uh, on the college football side during the season, it's, I mean, in a typical normal season, uh, the whole season is chaotic and it's its stressful and it's, um, I get anxiety anyways. And so, you know, covering games, going to games and then going to the press conferences, um, if you've got TV obligations, it can get really, really hectic where I'll go and cover a game. What typically will happen there is, uh, I'll be at the game halftime, typically ESPN radio will want us to come on the radio at halftime. Afterwards, sometimes SportsCenter will want you to come on um, right after the game and and talk to them about what just happened. And while you're doing that, you're trying to scramble to get to the head coach's press conference, which they're not going to stop just for you. So you you do your TV obligation. Uh, Sometimes I've had to interview the head coach on the field afterwards and then go to the press conference, transcribe all his quotes write a story, get that to the news desk and it's it can be very very stressful and it's that's not a complaint at all but yeah <laughs> um, the whole season, you know, you you go through 12 weeks traveling every Saturday and um trying to do that and cover games and fulfill different obligations. It can be really hectic.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think that's the um kind of the description of any job in sports. I feel like I get so many people that, you know, assume that every minute is you know, just heaven working in the sports industry. But like, there's so much hecticness and so much dress behind the scenes that you don't really see, you know, the, the final product, you don't see all that went into it. So I appreciate you giving us kind of a, a look behind what signing day was like this year. And I'm kind of shocked that you actually responded to me on LinkedIn that same day. I wasn't expecting it. I was like, okay, I'm gonna shoot him a message while it's on my mind, but I'll follow up next week or something. But yeah, that's, that was crazy.
0: I'm, I'm, I'm the kind of, well, first of all, I had about three cups of coffee in me. So I was, I was ready to answer anybody, but yeah, I'm, I'm also the kind of person that if I don't answer right away, I will completely forget. I'll answer in my head and then not answer in real life and then yeah. forget about it for two weeks. So I have to, anything that comes through, I try to answer right away.
1: For sure. Well, I, I appreciate it. So let's talk a little bit more about college football. Um, in October, the NCAA board voted unanimously to allow student athletes to, Um, profit off their name image and likeness which um, you're now seeing different state legislatures going through the approval process for I think Michigan just approved it not too long ago so how do you think that changes the game um, in college athletics
0: well it's going to be interesting still because even though they've they've passed some of this legislature and passed some of these um, these these initiatives uh, a lot of them aren't going to be enacted right away. And a lot of them are going to going to wait um, until either later in the year or next year. And, and depending on the state, when when they're going to go in, and actually be implemented. And so the NCAA is actually working right now um, to try to implement their own plans. And, and, and of course, the NCAA doesn't want to be upstaged by the government. And so they're, they're going to try to sneak theirs in before uh, the states are enacted. And, and they're, they're working on the details of that. And what's, what's been interesting, though, is the the limitations that the NCAA is trying to put within their their bylaws or or rules or whatever you want to call it, um, the government is watching and monitoring, and they're and, and they're making sure that the student athletes are looked out for because ultimately what what I, I think I, I think this kind of this whole topic kind of gets misconstrued and it gets blended in with well they're amateur athletes they shouldn't be paid and 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 that's not what this is about it's yeah. not about paying the athletes it's about allowing them just like any other college kid allowing them to profit off of their own name their own image or their own likeness where a, a player a, a football player right now cannot go on youtube and monetize his own youtube account if he were to go and create videos of his own and and i don't think that's that that has nothing to do with paying the players that has nothing to do with uh, amateurism or anything it's it, it's just it seems right that they should be able to do that. If, if that's something that they're passionate about, they want to try um, to capitalize on their brand that really within that four to five years that they're in school, it, that's at its highest, its highest value for their personal brand for, mo- for probably 95 to 99% of those kids that are there, that's the highest it will ever be. Yeah. And, and to not allow them to monetize that, to not allow them to make money off of that, I think it's wrong. And so, um, I, I think we're already seeing some uh, some schools try to ramp up for this. I think most coaches that I've talked to, and most most programs, um, directors of player personnel, whoever, I think it's still early for them to say how are we going to attack this, how are we going to use this in recruiting, how are we going to use this to our advantage, because a lot of them don't really know yet, and it's not their specialty. Branding, marketing, um, you know, it, being a, a social media influencer is not their their specialty. So I think a lot of them are kind of waiting to see what the NCAA says, waiting for guidance on what they can do, what they can't do. Um, the NCAA I know is going to try to make it so that it's not a recruiting tool that uh, boosters can't just come in and start paying these kids so that you do separate paying the players from this actually being a name, image and likeness thing. So um, I, I think a lot of people are still, are, are they're, they're not sure yet how it's really going to impact things, but there are some schools like Georgia Tech. Their coaches are really marketing forward, market, uh, brand forward thinking coaches where they're already putting out videos of, of how they're going to try to capitalize on it, how they're going to try to uh, help their players maximize their brand. And we're seeing some programs also partner with certain companies. There's, there's a, a company out there called Influencer. Yep. And, and it's, it's a, a company that is going to specifically work with these athletic departments on, on guiding athletes and teaching athletes how to utilize their brand, how to grow their brand, how to val- how to maximize that value, and and um, really try to to capitalize off this thing. So I do think it's going to impact things. I, I you know the the argument for me uh, when people say that this is going to create a gap uh, in recruiting and it's going to it's going to allow the bigger programs to to even further the gap in recruiting i, I don't agree with that at all I, I think first of all there already is a giant gap yeah Al- alabama clemson ohio state uh, a few other handful of other schools are already out recruiting everybody by a mile it's not even close alabama especially by a mile i actually think if you if if you have a situation where players could go to a a smaller power 5 school or and I, I kind of use smaller loosely there, but an, a non-Alabama or not Clemson or not Ohio State. And they're able to make money while they're going there. I think it might open up the door for some of those other programs to maybe keep some of their in-state prospects home. Uh, it might, might give them a little bit of a, an opportunity to close the gap a little bit. So I, I think it's a positive thing. I think if it's done right, there's ways to do it the right way. Um, I think it could be a positive thing for everybody. And we're already seeing some women athlete, uh, uh, some athletes on the women's side that, that are benefiting from this. I'm trying to remember where it was and, and what sport it was. It might be volleyball. Don't, don't quote me on that. But there's, there's, or no, it was cheerleading is what it was. There, there are some cheerleaders because I think that in, at some schools, the cheerleaders aren't regulated by the NCAA or something yeah. along those lines. They're already profiting off of it. And it's working. Yeah. So I think there I think there's a way that they can do it the right way and 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 make it a positive thing for everyone.
1: Yeah, I totally agree and I think it's the the best solution I feel like for these college athletes like you mentioned that 90 to 95% of them aren't going pro and this is their their maximum potential to to profit and earn some money off of, you know, the effort that they're putting in. So I think it definitely makes sense and I like the comment that you had too about closing the gap too because Um, you know, when you're going to Alabama, there's, there's so many draft picks and so much talent on that team versus if you can be a standout at a little bit of a smaller school. I think that really does put your name out there a little bit um, in that realm. So yeah, I agree.
0: Yeah. It's, it's been interesting to watch the debate within that you know and allowing players to, to profit off of that and 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 I think there's just a common misconception of that number that I threw out there. I think if people were to go and look at, at the 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 actual number of these college football players that make it to the NFL it's very slim. Yeah. And and a lot of them, you know, they're they're getting their scholarships which is which 100% has value. They're they're getting a free education which 100% has value and and they're they're getting network connections that, that are gonna be valuable to, to gain jobs, but not in every, not in every situation. And, and most of these kids are not going to be millionaires. So to allow them to maybe, and to even maybe learn some valuable lessons of entrepreneurship or, uh, or marketing or branding or whatever it might be now to get involved with that now. I mean, we said in the, in the beginning of this show, if, if, if any normal student isn't using social media now to benefit them, they're at a disadvantage. And that's the same thing with these student athletes as well.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, switching topics a little bit here. So um, about two years ago, you you wrote a book, The Road to Ann Arbor. Um, I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but I, I definitely intend to. Um, so you featured, you know, Jim Harbaugh, Tom Brady, Chad Henney, Braylon Edwards, some of the, the best Michigan players of all time. Um, and how was that experience? Who was the best interview story? Um, What did you learn from writing that
0: book? Yeah, it was a cool experience. And it was, it, it it happened off of a a different story that I was working on for, for ESPN.com. It it was, I was sitting down with a former Michigan coach who had been at at Michigan for, I I think it was 40 years. Bobby Morrison is his name. He was the recruiting coordinator for Bo Schembechler, Beckler. Um, he was there for for I think until Lloyd Carr was there through Lloyd Carr's tenure, and I was sitting down with him talking talking about a story, and it was funny because Bobby still Bobby still follows recruiting really really closely, and after we got done talking for this story, I was getting just getting some quotes for from him for it and getting some insight, and after we were done talking over the story, he said, "You know, Tom, you you write about all these these current recruits and and all these stories about recruiting." you should hear some of the stories that I have from the past. And we were at a Starbucks just sitting there and I was like, well, Bobby, I've got all day. What let's <laughs> let's hear the stories. Um, let's do it. We're here right now. And so he started spilling some stories and it was incredible. And it just started, it, it really sparked the whole book for me was that there are pre-internet football players that their stories have not been told. And now with the internet and with um, you know, with, just coverage and social media, the way that everything happens, fans know everything about these football players and yeah. how they got there, how they got to that school, you know, who their mom is, what they eat for breakfast. I mean, everything you can think of, they know about it, but pre-internet, nobody really knows how some of their favorite players from Michigan got there. And And the story I think that really sparked it for me when I was sitting with Bobby was Tom Brady's story that I thought I knew Tom Brady's story that Michigan offered late, you know, he was a California kid, kind of waiting things out. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, it happened late in the process. Ended up at Michigan. Well, Bobby told me the reason that it happened so late was Michigan was actually going after uh, a different quarterback the whole time. And there was a guy by the name of Bobby Sablehouse who was an East Coast kid, six foot five, statue. Everybody had this kid as number one in the class. Everybody wanted him. Um, and, and Bobby Morrison was telling me this, that Bobby Sablehouse was the guy that they were after. And Bobby ended up committing to Florida instead late in the process. He was down to Florida and Michigan ended up choosing, choosing Florida. And so the Michigan coaches had to go back to the drawing board and say, who do we got? Who could we get? And Tom Brady was on the board and they went and got Tom Brady and the rest was history. And so that, that one to me sparked the whole thing. Um, my favorite story though is, um, it it it, I, it was like the whole book started with off of uh, off of Tom Brady, but I, the the actual book, the first story in the book is Reggie McKenzie, and this goes back to the 1960s, and I, I think it might might have been 1958 when when Reggie was in in high school, and Reggie McKenzie, I, I get a hold of him. Awesome guy, really nice guy. Tells me his whole recruiting story. Remembers specific details. Um, you know, remember specific coach names, remember specific things about everything, talks about how he almost ended up at a different school. And I asked him, I said, Who is the main coach that, that recruited you from Michigan? I'd like to cover all angles from this. I want to talk to him too. And he told me, um, and his name was George Manns. And so I said, Okay, well, I got to get a hold of George Manns. Reggie didn't have his contact info. I tried for two months to get a hold of George Manns. And I, and I thought about it, I looked it up, and I said, George is about 80 years old. And I was like, I've been trying for two months now to get a hold of an 80-year-old guy to ask him a question, to ask him to remember a story from the 1960s. (laughs) And I'm spending all this time on it. I don't even know. This was the first story I was working on for the book. It ends up being the first story in the book. This is the first one I worked on. And I was like, I don't even know if he's going to remember anything. So I... I could not get a hold of him. I'm really competitive and and so I said to myself it almost became a personal mission like I had to get a hold of this guy now. I have to at least see yeah. if he remembers it. So he he George had been in politics in Michigan. I reached out to somebody at Lansing. Um they said that they couldn't give me his contact info but they they'd give me his home address. And so they wouldn't give me his phone number but they'd give me his home address. So I I sent him a, a handwritten letter I somehow got his phone number at home, but it was a, a, a a landline. And so he never answered, (laughs) never returned my voicemail. I finally send the letter. He gets my letter and calls me back off of the letter. And I was on the golf course when he called and I missed his call (laughs) at this point. It was almost three months. And he left me a message and I was like, Oh my gosh, I've been trying for three months for this guy. He calls me back and I missed the call. I don't know if he's going to answer again. Yeah. So I call him back. I get him on, he answers. I get him on the phone. And I, was, I, I said, you know, this is a long shot, but do you remember anything about Reggie McKenzie and recruiting Reggie McKenzie? We spoke for probably 45 minutes and he, he remembered every single detail. That he, he told me the same story that Reggie McKenzie told me just from George's side, remembered every single detail down to Reggie's mom's name, Reggie's mom's doctor's name, who was an alum of, at Michigan. And his, his mom's doctor was the one that notified the Michigan coaches about Reggie. And he remembered the doctor's name. And I stopped the conversation and I said, George, this is crazy. I don't even remember what I wore yesterday. This, <laughs> this story happened 60 or 50 years ago, however long it was. How do you remember this? And he said, you happened to call me about Reggie McKenzie. I love Reggie McKenzie. I-, I always have. He has always had a special place in my heart. When, when my kids got old enough, Reggie held a-, a football camp in Detroit. I sent my kids to Reggie's football camp because I think that highly of him. I will never forget Reggie McKenzie and the relationship that we have. And, and it was incredible just to hear that perspective that, that they had that connection. Um, And, and I think to relive those stories with a lot of the Michigan players, you could, you could hear it in their voice. Things were jogging their memory as they were talking about it. You know, they were, they were reliving it through telling you, and to be a part of that, to have Desmond Howard tell you that that's his story yeah, relive it and remember it. Um, it was pretty, it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool to be a part of that and I was, I was so thrilled with, with how it turned out.
1: That's awesome. That's such a cool thing to be able to accomplish and and to just have so many great interviews of these people that um, obviously never had their story told. Um, So that's, that's really awesome. Um, I think uh, you kind of hit on this a little bit, but um, so in your career, uh, we've seen a shift in traditional media. So we, we've been talking about, you wrote a book and then you're, you're mailing a letter to this recruiting coordinator to get a response. And now everything is, you know, social media and, and very short form and, and quick hits. So what do you see is like the future of the next wave of consumption for sports journalists? Do you think it's the social media, or is it something that maybe we're not even talking about right now?
0: Yeah, I, I think it's a combination of both. I think, you know, <clears throat> Long-form writing, um, news, feature stories—that um, stuff still 100% has its place, and and it still 100% is attractive to the reader. Um, our numbers have been, you know, despite the challenges of of COVID-19 this year, our, our numbers are are showing that people still want to digest that stuff, um, and they still want that, and they still want the the. In depth look at, at certain things, behind the scenes look, um, investigative look, you know, just a, a peek into what they, they otherwise wouldn't be able to see. Uh, there's 100% that, that is still um, very much the, the main aspect of what we do, but social media has taken a huge, huge chunk of that too, of, of playing a role in how people digest information. Uh, attention spans are getting shorter and shorter. I think partially because of of how the internet is or how the social media is constructed. Uh, You know, some of the stuff that we write now, if it's a news story, it's a lot of times it's better to be shorter than write something longer out and descriptive because you're, you're trying to compete with so many different things now for someone's attention that if you write something that's going to consume more than three minutes of their, of their time, you're not going to win that time. You're not going to, you're not going to win them over for more than that period of time. Yeah, So I think that that is um, something we're cognizant of, something we're aware of. I think social media, if you look at how every company, how every journalism com- company is working now, um, it, it's important, whether it's Twitter, whether it's Instagram, TikTok now, I mean, <laughs> ESPNs. I refuse to go on TikTok myself. I, draw, I have to draw a line somewhere. I feel yeah. like I'm way too old for that.
1: You don't have any dance moves you're hiding from us?
0: I do, but those... <laughs> Were were sacred wayside and O'Kelly's and the pub and all that. Those were those are left better left there than on TikTok, right? I agree. Those are, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm not bringing those out anymore. But um, no, but you know, even just as a new from a new standpoint, ESPN is on TikTok and they've got um, their their presence and their their followers are continue to grow, and and they've they've dedicated um, staff to To so the social media side to grow that, so I think it 's hundred percent important I think um, that 's where people are if you look at especially as sports companies, media companies, whatever it is, even the you know the, the, the sports teams as they 're trying to compete for attention, um, trying to compete to to grab a younger audience, I think that 's really what what it 's geared towards where you know the the younger crowd now is they're glued to their phones and, and the, their phones are always in their hand and, and it's always in my hand and, and you're looking through apps and you're looking through the the view of your phone and how can you how can you maximize as a company how can you maximize that aspect that you you could capture someone's phone there you can capture their audience as long as you get it in front of them on their phone how can you maximize that and i think that's a, a big part of what companies are focusing on right now
1: yeah that that makes sense and um yeah, it will be interesting to see what the next thing is. Obviously, TikTok is, I feel like, kind of front and center right now. But what's coming next? There's always like every year or two, there's a new app or a new uh, form of social media that kind of takes over. So
0: it'll be well, I
1: interesting think, to see.
0: I think it depends on what you're doing too, right? Yeah. Where, where as a reporter, you know, I, I joke and say I'm not going to get on TikTok. I'm serious. I'm not going to. But I, I don't think I need to because I don't. I don't think a lot of people are looking for breaking news on TikTok. I think it's yeah. more of Uh, short form storytelling or you know just updates if something has happened here's what happened highlights videos whatever that might be whereas Twitter it has been a good resource for a lot of reporters of here's news Um, so I think you know the medium that you use it depends on what you're using it for and, and and the person that's trying to use it as well
1: yeah for sure I agree so um, kind of in closing here, you know, we like to ask everybody, what advice would you give to a young person just starting out in the sports industry? And I know we've already touched a little bit on, you know, having a presence on LinkedIn and, and Twitter and, and really building your personal brand, but what else would you tell the, you know, your 22 year old self?
0: I, I really think networking is the biggest thing. I know we touched on that already, but I, I, I just knowing what I know now and being here and, um, how I got in. I, you know, I joked in the beginning of this that that I went the back door and I went the back route in a different path, but knowing people yeah. is is such a big part of this. And, and and you know, I don't I don't necessarily want to say it's not it's all about who you know and not what you do, because I don't think that's true at all. I think if you if you're really, really good at what you do and you stand out, people will find you. Um, but it a hundred percent helps to know people and and ask questions and um, you know, look for a mentor or, or just, you know, find someone in the field, whatever you're trying to get into, find someone that's there and say, what, is, is there something that you think is important in your industry? And, and, and you know, I, I always kind of take the approach of don't ask someone to help you necessarily um, right away. Just ask for advice or or yep. ask for information. Don't, don't go to them and say, I'm the hardest worker that there is. I'm willing to do this can you help me or can you hire me? Cause they probably have a hundred other people telling them that they're the hardest worker too and, and asking for help. And that's not how you build relationships. And I think that's ultimately what, what it comes down to for me is, is knowing the right information, knowing the right people, and then going out and being willing to do the work. Because I think a lot of times I get emails from people saying, I, I'd, I'd love to do what you're doing. I love football. I love sports. I'd love to be in the sports world. And it's like, okay, well this, that's a big part of the job, loving, loving football, loving sports. It's a big part of the job, but you have to love the process of what we're doing to, yeah. to, to make it because it's not just, I don't just go to the foot. Like I just said before, I don't just go to a football game, sit down with a beer and a hot, a hot dog and, yeah. and hang out. You know, there's, there's so much more that goes into it that, you know, I'm working 24 hours a day. I don't, I don't get Saturday and Sunday off. And yep. and you you have to love that you have to actually want to to do that, and you know that you have to be the right per, you have to have the right personality to do that. You got to be competitive. You got to be, um, you know, you got to be able to build relationships to be in this. And so um, there's so much more that goes into it. And so I I really think networking for me is 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 a huge thing of of just finding the right people and using social media to find those people. And then the other thing that I would say is um, aside from really really. Knowing that you want to you want to do this, that you love the the whole process, not just sports. Uh, it's that you you've got to be able to be be willing to do the work because it's you know it's like I said before it's 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 a lot harder than people think and and I will never complain about this. I regularly text my wife when I'm on a football field, and I regularly text her and say, "This is my office. This is my job. This is crazy. This is so cool," but. <laughs> You, you've got to be able to work and you've got to be able to outwork everybody else. And you've got to be able to stand out somehow from everybody else, because there's, there are hundreds of other people that that have the same dream and have the same goal and, and want to do it. So you've got to figure out how you can stand out, how you can figure out a way to, to, um, get yourself out of the clutter and, and get yourself up. For me, that was working harder than everybody else. For someone else, it might be, um, working on their craft as a feature writer and, and writing incredible features that people just can't, can't help, but, but read. Um, or, you know, wh- whatever it is, if it's not in, if it's not in journalism, if it's just in sports in general, if it's uh, being creative, just being creative in the sports marketing world, whatever it is, you've got to stand out somehow, figure out what you are good at, lean into that and and be great at it and, and, and show people that you are great at this. And I, and like I said before, I think the people that stand out, uh, are the people that, that everybody says, this guy's the hardest working guy in, in, in his field. This is the best blank, at, at the best person at, at blank in their field. Like I said, this is the best feature writer. This is the guy that if you want to to break a news story, you've got to go to this. This guy's going to break it. He's going to have it, whatever. Uh, you've got to be be able to to stand out that way and be that person. So I, I think there's there's different ways that you can get into this field. There's different ways that you can you can stand out. You, you have to figure out who you are, what sets you apart, and then lean into that. And then the last thing that I would say is understand, too, that you have to, you have, to have staying power. And, and once you get into this, now you're in the river. Now you're in the rapids. And, yeah. and if, you stop, if you stop paddling, you're going to get washed up and you're going to get spit out. And, and once you get into it, it's not over. And you've got to continue working hard. I mean, we're competitive with each other at where, where I work you know, and in a good way, in a positive way. And we push each other and we're all, um, you know, we're all friendly, but it's competitive within, within our, our, our own little, little company here of, of college football. Um, just that, that, that world we're trying to break some of the same news. We're trying to build some of the same relationships. So understand that once you get in, you got to continue to work hard and continue to push and continue to separate yourself.
1: Yeah, for sure. I, I couldn't agree more. I think, um, two things you reminded me of. One, um, Jeff Daniels, another great Chippewa. uh, He was interviewed last year and he said uh, it was something to how he attributed his success. And he said, you know, I went to central Michigan. These other people went to Harvard or Yale or Princeton. Like I'm going to have to outwork you because you're not going to look at the school on my resume and give me a job. And I thought that was pretty powerful.
0: I was going to say, you know, it's, it's true because And especially for me, like, you know, like I said in the beginning, I didn't have a portfolio of writing. I had to show people how I, I couldn't just go to them and say, hire me. I'm going I'm to work really hard because everybody says that. So you've got to show people yeah. and, and, and how you do that, how you work. And in those first two years, like I said, I, when I tell people that I, I was in, in sports reporting, sports writing for two years before I got hired by ESPN, they all say the same thing. How in the world did you do that? And the reason is I didn't sleep for those first two years. I I outworked everybody. I made sure that if there was news that I was getting the news. I made sure that if there was a relationship to be built, I built that relationship. And I really, I I tried to use everything to my advantage. I mean, Even early on when I first started, I I reached out to to people that, uh, writers that in the local news, I was covering Michigan when I first started. So I I, were, I reached out to people that were in the local news and I said, here's what I cover. If you write something about what I cover, call me and I'll give you a quote for your story. So then they were calling me for quotes for their story. They were advertising my name and giving me credibility because my name is now in their story and people, their readers now knew who I was. And so there there's a plan to that. And and there is a strategic plan that I put in place in the, the, the personal branding side, in the networking side, the work side that... Jeff Daniels is 100% right. You, you have to go out and outwork everybody and you have to go and show everybody. Here's why you need to hire me. And if you don't hire me, this guy, your competitor is going to hire me and, and I'm going to go work for them and I'm going to blow you out of the water.
1: <laughs> I think every sports job I've had has had that same kind of uh, internal um, competitiveness just with people wanting to, you know, we all work in sports and we're all competitive people and you want to do better than the person next to you. In the best possible way, your teammates and friends. But you know, if you you score one point higher or you do something before them, it feels good. Um, so that's that's great. Well, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> we are all very respectful too, and we all yeah. are friends. You know, within where we work. But you're right. It feels good to get something. It feels good to break news. It feels good to show your bosses, hey, look at the value that I bring. So uh, that competitive side, it it has to be there in the right way. And and the last thing I know, we're we're probably running long here, but. The last thing that I would say that the best some of the best advice that I've I've been given um, by one of my coworkers was nobody cares about your career more than you. And and I think I, I've really taken that to heart that I what I would tell people the last bit of advice is be your biggest advocate. And and I think early on in my career, because I was so new, I, I kinda waited for people to notice what I was doing and, and kind of waited and just you know, I, I just thought the work will speak for itself and, and I'll, I'll, I'll work my way up just because they'll know I'm valuable and, and, and all that. But I, I've realized that you have to be your biggest advocate. You have to go out and say, I'll do this. Raise your hand for everything. I've never, I, I cannot think of more than three times in my 10 years at ESPN that I've said no when my bosses have asked me to do something. And, and you, you have to have that mentality of, I'm, I need to show them and I need to tell them, hey, look what I did. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's how I add value. You, you've got to go out and be your biggest advocate.
1: Yeah, for sure. I couldn't agree more. Well, um, thank you so much, Tom. I don't want to take up any more of your time, but this was a fantastic uh, fire up chips. Thanks for coming on.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me. I was ha- Happy to do this for fellow Chippewa. Thanks for having me. Cool. Well, have a good one.
1: You too. Thanks for listening. If you want to hear more from Tom, you can pick up his book, The Road to Ann Arbor on Amazon. And if you're liking this podcast, please help us out by subscribing, liking, and sharing our content. We'll see you next week.